Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. If you're looking for ways to increase your self-worth and confidence, you have come to the right place as we talk with our guest, Maho Molfino. Maho is a Stanford University trained designer and women's leadership expert who uses her knowledge and training in design to help women build creative confidence. And she's the author of the new book, Break the Good Girl Myth, How to Dismantle Outdated Rules, Unleash Your Power, and Design a More Purposeful Life. Maho, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. What is the good girl myth and why do you want to break it? (laughs) Great question. (laughs) Yes. The good girl myth. Well, you know, the book is called Break the Good Girl Myth, but there are actually five of them that I argue every woman needs to break in order to step into more power. And they are the myth of rules, the myth of perfection, myth of logic, myth of harmony, and myth of sacrifice. And so these five good girl myths are what I call subconscious programs and beliefs that stand in our way that maybe we learned as girls in our younger years, but are no longer serving us in adulthood. Can you talk to us a little bit more about each one? Absolutely. I have literally been thinking about this for the last three years. So it's just been like, (laughs) finally, I'm getting to talk about this. Um, Sure. So myth of rules is uh, when we basically follow external authority instead of trusting our own opinions and our own needs and desires. So that's something that we pick up as little girls and and obviously stays with us. A myth of perfection is when we are basically trying to perform at a high level without breaking a sweat. So we're putting on that illusion. Myth of logic is when we're really uh, focusing on our head and uh, our intellect instead of tapping into our intuition and other forms of emotional intelligence. Myth of harmony is one of my favorites. That's the one when we are going with the program, people pleasing, being easy to get along with, not really saying how we feel. And so as a result, we give up our voice and truth. And then the myth of sacrifice, so many women (laughs) around the world have come into contact with this one, which is when we are putting other people's needs before our own at the expense of our own well-being. So these are the five big patterns I have seen in women that are really stopping them from designing a more purposeful life and following their true path. I heard in a speech that you say that girls actually lose their voice in middle school and that is so sad. And I I love that you're on a mission to try and prevent that. How can parents help their girls get that voice back before they lose it for good? Totally. I know. It's funny because I've wrote that I've written this book for women and working on themselves. And as I gave more talks about it, parents were coming to me and saying, what do I do for my daughter? You know? And so I'm so glad that you've asked this. I think what we really have to understand is we have to put ourselves back into middle school ourselves when we were feeling that if we spoke up, we would lose a friendship because that's the trade-off girls oh see, God. right? Yes. Do you yes. remember? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah. And so is to empathize with that feeling that she's having, which is if I really express my, how I really feel about this subject and my, my truth, my desire, my opinion, you know, Sally or Heather, whoever isn't, isn't going to like me anymore. Isn't going to love me anymore. And so to give her, equip her with tools 
and role playing to use her voice and share what she really thinks about a situation and to sort of accept the consequences of that in her friendship and in her relationship. Because I think what the danger becomes is when we hold back our voices, right, at the expense of that friendship or relationship, we are no longer being true to ourselves. We lose a little piece of ourselves. We begin to bury that piece of ourselves. So really having her understand that. And as mothers and as adults, understanding that ourselves, like these patterns aren't things I've just noticed in, you know, 12 year olds are things that are happening still living on it for women in their thirties, forties, fifties, and beyond where we're seeing a trade-off like, ah, I just really don't want to rock the boat. Uh, I'd rather just stay quiet on this one. And yet it seems to me that some girls get their voices in middle school. You know, there are some girls who really really come out of their shells at at that time. You wouldn't expect to. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Has that been your experience? I would actually say it came after high school that I felt like I came out of my shell. I was really shy and I was always afraid to speak up for myself with a friend or anything. And I would rather just, you know, like you said, not rock the boat. Mm-hmm. 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 And how is it now for you? Um, it's very different. I feel like I'm actually more outspoken than a lot of my friends, but mm-hmm. I try to do everything in a really kind way, but it feels very different. I, you know, and maybe it just comes with maturity and time that you treasure some friendships and want to maintain them by being honest with each other. And uh, maybe that's just how friendships develop over the years. Mm-hmm. I found it really interesting that in the title of the book, you talk about dismantling these outdated rules. Mm. And I do think that so many of these rules were rules, certainly that I grew up with about, you know, not rocking the boat and trying to be as perfect as possible and, and keeping harmony and making sacrifices and things like that. And I'm wondering if you are seeing that women, you know, late teens and 20s today are maybe not as tied to these rules as women in their 30s and on. I argue in the book that the patriarchy has been around for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. So these good girl myths have very deep roots. So even though like you have to put things into perspective, that's that's the legacy we've inherited for thousands of years, whereas the women's liberation movement was, is really only half a century long. Even in the 1960s, a woman needed her husband's signature to um, get a credit card, right? So, yeah. you know, when you really think about it, you know, I, I have observed that even today in girls and women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and beyond, we're seeing these patterns, but they're existing on a more subconscious level. They're not so accepted through traditional gender norms. They're still running in the background because of the legacy and just length of time that the patriarchy has been around. Um, It's still with us. Having said that, I am noticing younger, like the generation, not the millennials, but I'm noticing in the Gen Z generation that they are definitely more questioning of authority. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. But most of my clients and the women I've worked with are in their late 20s, early 30s. Are we born being taught to be good girls? I mean, you have this story about how you became interested in the good girl myth about how you were the daughter of immigrants and that made you try and be a good girl. Yeah, I don't think we're born that way. I I think we're actually born quite free and questioning of rules and rebellious in our own way. I mean, when you're a little girl, you want to 
paint on a wall, you want to throw food on the ground. And a little bit by bit, you get messages through socialization and through parenting, hey, that's not okay to do. And so uh, rules and control start coming in. And that helps us function in society and it keeps us safe. But eventually we have to grow out of them. Eventually these rules have to expire. Um, they no longer serve us when we're really hoping to step up in our creative leadership and innovate and do things differently and think outside of the box. The things that worked for us in our family structures and our school structures aren't going to necessarily serve us later in life and in designing a life that is authentic to us. You say that understanding our primary good girl myth is vital. I'm wondering why and how do we come to that understanding? Yeah, absolutely. So these are five good girl myths that we all possess um, to some degree, but I've noticed that some clients, I, I had noticed through my research that some clients were very strong in one or two and not as strong as others. For example, in my case, number one is myth of perfection, and a close number two is the myth of logic. I have some girlfriends who are myth of harmony, you know, number one, and myth of sacrifice, number two, for example. So I was like, wow, okay. So while the good girl archetype is universal, there's also a very highly personal aspect to it where it looks differently for each of us. And we have a sort of unique good girl formula that expresses based on various things that we've experienced throughout our lives. So I think that it's really important to know your primary good girl myth because that's the place where you need to work on the most. That's the thing that you need to unlearn before everything else. I can't tell you, I've spent a lifetime and I'm still working on it. Of course, it's a work in progress on unlearning the myth of perfection. My biggest shadows have to do with the fact that I want to um, achieve, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. be the best and win often at the expense of things that are more authentic to me and things that actually give me joy and pleasure, like creativity and fiction and poetry and music. But I'm so obsessed with achievement, right? So, it, so knowing that has been very helpful to me throughout my journey. And in the same way, I had a client who her number one was the myth of harmony. So we knew that we real, the point of intervention for us was her owning her voice and learning how to speak up and so when we knew it was the myth of harmony, we could really focus our coaching on supporting her with tools and frameworks to give other people feedback when needed and to, you know, leave toxic relationships as needed. So you get to tailor your approach depending on what your primary good girl myth is. Do you think that in some ways the pandemic and quarantining has allowed us time to think about and maybe reclaim our identity because we're quiet and have the time to think about it? Mm -hmm. I think so. I think the pandemic and quarantine has allowed us to step back and see. And it's interesting. There have been some articles out. I know that one came out in the Atlantic around how uh, gender norms and how the, because now we have all through quarantine been um, asked to stay within the domestic sphere of home, women are really starting to see, wow, either in their marriage or in their family, there's a lot, there's quite a bit of gender norms here. Like I've been doing a lot of the domestic <laughs> work, for example. You know, I, didn't, I didn't realize that before and now I'm starting to see it, you know, because it's right. everything's under a magnifying glass. Right. And so, so that's been interest, an interesting wake-up call for a lot of women or like, wow, there are no boundaries between these different roles. Because before I was like, 
I was a mother, I was a, an Da, 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 and I, I could have some boundaries between these roles. And now with quarantine, because we're all in the domestic sphere, it's like within the span of 10 minutes, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm an employee, you know, there's no mm-hmm. context switching. And so that's been really, really challenging for a lot of women. I'm curious as to why you decided that the knowledge and the training you had learned studying design at Stanford could be used to help women build creative confidence and design their own lives. I know. Isn't it crazy? I studied design and here I am writing a women's leadership book and really leaning into my identity as a feminist and my belief of feminism. For me, design is really about bringing an idea into reality. And designers, like everything you look, look around you right now, you know, you might see a chair, you might see a table, everything, a book, everything has been designed And so somebody had an idea and created that. And so the world is designed. Now the problem becomes, what if the world is designed mostly by men or people who have power, right? And so I started to really think of, we need women designing their lives and also bringing their ideas into reality because so many women I know brilliant women, genius women, they might sit on their ideas for weeks, months, or years, or until their deathbed, because they're lacking creative confidence. And what's beautiful about the design thinking process is that it's specifically meant to build creative confidence by giving you a process to bring something from an idea into reality. And how do you do that? What's the first step that you can take It seems like it's something we all need to do, but it's hard to take that first step. Absolutely. One of the things that I learned at the Stanford D School that has been extremely helpful to me and in my work with clients is called prototyping. And, you know, if you studied interior design or architecture, you might be like, oh yeah, prototype, right? Or you might know what a prototype is from tech standpoint. But what I think a lot of people miss is that they can prototype literally anything they have an idea for because a prototype is a dinky version of your idea that you can quickly test. And so what I support and coach women in doing is prototyping their ideas. And this is what builds creative confidence. And it's also what breaks perfectionism and breaks the myth of perfection. Because in the myth of perfection, we set a high bar and we have big ideas and then we get overwhelmed and we procrastinate we push things back, we don't go after what we really want. Whereas if you can break it into a prototype, then you can actually put it into action within an hour. That's what blows people's minds. Um, For example, I had a client who wanted to start a podcast. And so in her mind, she had kept raising the bar, which by the way, is a form of resistance when you raise the bar, which is you make the action even more difficult for you to do. So she had this idea that she needed to rent a studio and she needed to get the best possible guests on. And so she kept building it up in her mind. And so that, what did that do? It created her to procrastinate and stall and get even more scared about doing the project. So we devised a prototype. And it's interesting to coach people through this process because you know, what they actually think is a prototype. It's like, no, you can break it down even more than you think. So she was like, all right, I'll do a little uh, prototype of um, a one hour episode with a guest that I'll just do over Zoom, for example. I'm like, great. Okay. So 
let's start that. But then when she came back after that coaching session, she didn't, she didn't actually do it. And so I asked her why she said, Oh, I couldn't schedule that. There was like, it was, the barrier was still too high is what I'm saying. So we broke it down even further. She grabbed a friend and she opened up her voice notes on her phone and she asked her friend three questions. And that gave her more data of like, okay, what's it like to interview someone quickly? Uh, What questions do I want to ask? And she took away the tech barrier. And so that gave her a sense that actually, even if it was so small, she was able to send that to other people for feedback. So that's the beauty of prototyping as well as you can get feedback from other people. And then you gain confidence because you're starting to get gain momentum. So from that example, I was able to show that what was a big thing in her head became a small scrappy thing she could do right now. You also advise people to get involved with journaling. Uh, You say it's an important exercise to use to break through these myths that you talk about, the good girl myths. Tell us more about that and what you would advise along those lines. Yes. Journaling is a powerful tool because it allows you to go deep within your own blocks and within things that are really making up what I call your resistance. So whenever you want to design a more authentic life or bring an idea into reality, you face resistance. It's your own resistance. And so when you can journal into that resistance, really looking at what are my blocks, what have been my traumas, what have been my good girl myths? What, have, what are the stories I'm telling myself? What are the negative beliefs? Journaling is a great tool for you to go into sort of those darker aspects of the psyche. Now, where I think people get caught up is it can't stop with journaling. You've, and it can't, you can't only journal and meditate and expect results. We need to take it one step further by taking action, prototyping, getting feedback from people and engaging with the world because clarity actually comes from making clarity comes from making it doesn't come from thinking only Mm -hmm. no that makes sense you went on this amazing quest to reclaim your confidence and power like walking along with the holy rivers and fasting in the desert and most people can't do that so what can people Mm -hmm. do at home to have that same feeling that you got Oh, I love this question because it's so true. Most people can't do that. And- <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing though. <laughs> like I'm not like saying like, oh my God, I'm so good. I did that. But like, yeah, that was like, <laughs> that was very much in a period of my life. And it was very, I had a, the privilege to do that. But you know, people are in different stages of their life. And what I suggest is designing your own ritual. And so I'm really big into morning and evening rituals, especially for women if you can't do both, do at least one. It can be tiny. Again, it's something you can prototype. So I love empowering women to become their own ritual designers. You can design a quick ritual in the morning that's going to support you uh, to have more energy throughout the day, to be more clear, um, and to also set you up to do your deep work um, in, in throughout the day if that's what you want to do. So Um, in the book, Under the Myth of Sacrifice is where I've nestled it because I noticed that women who give a lot of their time to others often don't give time to themselves. And so designing a morning ritual is super vital, super, super vital. And I can't stress it enough, even if it's just for 10 minutes to give yourself that space to go inward, 
to either journal, meditate, even a simple tea ritual is really powerful. But the reason that's so powerful is that it allows you to start to calm your nervous system and mind and reduces stress. And that's often when inspiration can come to you and creativity can come to you and you can feel motivated to start bringing those ideas into reality. What do you think is the difference between designing your own life and just following a basic path of school, career, romantic relationship, et cetera? Oh my God, I love your questions. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> You're so well-researched and thought out. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, you know, I think in my observations, people who go with the program and go with the default plan eventually hit a point. And the symptoms, usually their body gives them some sort of symptoms. They start to develop some kind of illness or maybe they start to something like if stress really gets to them, maybe they start losing their hair. They, some, some way that their body is trying to tell them and signal to them like, this is not okay. Like the path you're going on is not okay. There's some breaking point that I've noticed people, particularly women can reach. And so it's, it'll catch up to you. And, and the cost is so high, right, of not following that path that is authentic to you. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I, what I tell women is like, okay, you can go along with the program, but what will that cost you? And that question often gets them thinking like, hmm, yeah, what will that cost me? And once they start to think of the cost, because it is easier, you know, it is easier to sort of just go along and continue with the roadmap that has been laid out for us. But like I said, eventually we're going to hit a point and and it's not going to feel good. The number one regret people have on their deathbed is that they did what other people expected of them instead of what they truly wanted to do. Mm, I hadn't heard that before. Mm-hmm. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. And you know, our show is called Nobody Told Me. So at the end of each show, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So in your case, what did nobody tell you about designing a more purposeful life that you wish that they had when you were younger? Because it would have saved you from some very tough times. I thought about this question, so I come a little prepared. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. <laughs> For me, it's really boiled down to self-compassion because my good girl myth is a myth of perfection. I'm so hard on myself. And I think a lot of women can relate to this. We have impossibly high standards and we are putting a lot of pressure on ourselves, which can lead to a lot of chronic stress, which can build up into illness and disease in the long term. So what I keep coming back to is self-compassion and being able to be kind to myself and learn that designing your life is a process of a lot of course correcting and falling off the bandwagon and picking yourself back up and realizing, nope, that's not quite it and trying something else. And so it's a, it's a messy process with a lot of zigzags. I often call it the heroine's journey. That's why I have the heroine podcast. It's the heroine's journey. And so in that journey, learning self-compassion and learning to speak to ourselves in a gentle way is so important. And tell us more about how people can connect with you on social media, the internet, and through your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find out more about Break the Good Girl Myth at goodgirlmyth.com. 
And if you pre-order the book before July 28th, I have a free training that's going to support you in designing your creative purpose. I'm also um, at my website, maho.co, maho spelled M-A-J-O. And on Instagram, you can also find me on Instagram, but probably just head to my website. And from there, you can explore and branch out. All right. Well, we thank you so much for joining us. This has really been insightful and interesting and fun. Yeah. And I think girls are going to get a lot out of it. Women too, I guess. (laughs) I always think of us as girls, but we're women. (laughs) I still think of myself as a girl and I'm 63. So there you go. (laughs) There we go. Our thanks to Maho Molfino. Again, her new book is called Break the Good Girl Myth, How to Dismantle Outdated Rules, Unleash Your Power, and Design a More Purposeful Life. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 